I don't know how many of you have ever thought, like, I want to be Mary. But when I was, um, I don't know if it was three or four, you know how your parents tell you stories about yourself? You're never quite sure if they're true because you don't remember it. But my parents told me when I was either three or four, I was so upset that I didn't get to be Mary that I, that in the church play, I upstaged Mary. That there she was in the front holding the baby and it was time to sing away in the manger and I was an angel. So I went and put my arms right in front of Mary and sang away in the manger at the top of my lungs. I don't remember that. I think they got me mixed up with some other angel. Once you put those robes and wings on, you all begin to look alike. But I remember wanting to be Mary so badly when I was young. And I remember my Sunday school teacher, Leslie Stewart, saying, okay, I have to choose a Mary. So could you show me what you think Mary looked like? Oh my goodness, I folded my hands. Now I'm hyperactive. I folded my hands and I bowed my head and I tried to look as reverent as possible. I also took my hair and put it on each side, just let it flow down and tried to get my most beatific face on. And I was chosen to be Mary. I was ecstatic. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. Again, when I was 11 in public school, Newport Heights Elementary School over on Santa Ana Avenue, just in case you want to drive by and go, Cheryl was Mary at that auditorium. In public school, I was chosen by my sixth grade teacher to be Mary. And it was such a reverent moment for me to be up on the stage and to be representing one of uh, the most favored, most blessed, most reverent women in the entire world. I revered the role. I felt so honored and so privileged. But you know, the real Mary, the real Mary was just a young woman in Nazareth. Now, what's interesting about Nazareth is the Hebrew word Nazar means branch. There were about 800 people living in Nazareth at the time of Mary, and they were all descendants of David. They had gone there to hide from the Roman legions, from the Seleucid dynasty, from persecution. And when they had gone to Nazareth, what they named their city was the branch. And they did it according to the prophecy of Isaiah 11.1, 1, which spoke of the root of Jesse, the branch. According to Jeremiah 23.5, 33.15, that talked about the branch of David, out of which the Messiah would come. So in Nazareth, there was a messianic expectation. Again, Zechariah 3.8, Zechariah 6.12. They all talk about the Messiah being called the branch of the Lord because he was a branch of David. This is the one through whom the promise to David that from your lineage, from David's lineage, the Messiah would arise. This was the promised people. This was the lineage of David. Now, we don't know anything about the family of Mary. Isn't that interesting? We don't know about her father. 
We don't know about her mother. We don't know if she was an orphan or an only child, if she had brothers. We don't know anything about that because it's really not about her family. It's about Mary herself. And it's about her response to the word of God. We know that she was poor or impoverished because she refers to herself as being of a lowly estate. When she goes to the temple after the birth of Jesus to offer the sacrifice of purification, which every godly woman would do in Israel, they were to offer a lamb. But in, Deut- in Leviticus 12.8, it said if you couldn't afford a lamb that you could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. And we know that the poor offering was the offering that Joseph and Mary gave at the temple. There's no physical description of Mary. Did you ever realize that? We're not told what color her hair is. You know, we as women, we love details, don't we? What color was her hair? What color were her eyes? You know, if we had a physical description, we would all look like Mary, wouldn't we? We'd all dye our hair brown, if it was brown. We'd all have, if it was blue eyes, we'd all have, well, some of us would have contacts. Others of us would act superior. You know, we're not told what height, what weight. We're not even told her age. And it's interesting to me because we're not told that Mary was beautiful. And yet we're told that Sarah, Rebecca, Abigail, Bathsheba, Esther were beautiful. It's not like the Bible leaves that out. It tells us that these women were beautiful. And yet we all assume that Mary was beautiful, don't we? But we assume or We know she was beautiful because her beauty was her reception to the word of God. The most beautiful woman I ever knew was 56 when I met her. And she was already severely weathered and wrinkled from harsh seasons of desert life. She was less than five feet tall and she was definitely overweight. Her hair was short and curly and gray and she wore glasses. It was my Aunt Isi. But she was so attractive. Everyone wanted to be in her presence because she lived the word of God with a passion. It flowed generously from her lips. It manifested itself in every action. The word of God rose within her spirit It sounded forth in her praise and it directed everything she did. When she would pray, her little hands would go up because she was arthritic, so she couldn't raise her hands, so they would just go like this. And she'd just go, oh, holy, 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 oh, Jesus. It was like she saw him. Every time she prayed, he'd be like, easy, pray for me. Because you could just you could just sense that heaven's doors flung open. And God says, I hear the voice of my beloved. That was her beauty. But I believe this was the beauty of Mary. Mary's story begins with her reception to God's word. In the small village of Nazareth, where the descendants of David lived, hidden staying out of reach in sight of Rome and Herod and all the muckety mucks. 
in Israel. You know, when we were in Israel, yes, I was, just last week, um, we were, these important people came to dinner. And um, I, I always feel intimidated by important people, probably because I'm not an important person. And I always just like, oh no, these are important people. And I have to try to remember everything my mom taught me. You know, like where the napkin on your lap goes, how to put the napkin back on the table, what knife to use first, what fork, you know, all those kind of things that you need to be aware of because they're important people. And so I sent a text to Brian because he was late. Brian, the muckety mucks are here and you have to sit with them and pretend I'm not your wife because I'm sitting at a different table. And he's like, what does muckety muck mean anyway? Why do you keep using that term? And what do you mean by that term? Because Brian sees every, you know, Brian is like, every man is equal. He doesn't see muckety mucks, you know, especially the ickety part of the uckety. He doesn't see that. You know, he's like, Cheryl, they're all people. And I'm like, no, these are mucks. They're important. And they're more important than the rest of us. No, they're not. You know, but anyway, Mary... Mary was a very humble woman living in Nazareth and hidden out from all the important people. You know, that's one of the things when you're reading Luke and it says, you know, Herod was the tetrarch of, you know, Israel and, you know, um, Caesar Augustus was on the throne of Rome and um, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And you've got all these important muckety-muck people. And yet that's not who the angel goes to. That's not who the angel is looking for. When heaven is looking down on earth, it's not looking for the muckety-mucks. There you go, Brian. It's not looking for those important people. He is looking for those who will receive the word of God. And so this angel goes and appears to Mary and the angel Gabriel, the same angel that went to Zacharias, who was a priest serving in the temple of the Lord, according to Luke chapter 1. The same angel who appeared to Daniel and says, Daniel, I have come because of your prayer to show you the things that will happen because you are treasured before the Lord because you are dearly beloved or because you have found favor before the Lord. You see, Gabriel was sent to those who had found favor with the Lord. And so he comes just as he went to Daniel in Babylon. So he comes to Mary in Nazareth and he says to her, rejoice, highly favored woman. The Lord is with you. Oh my goodness, she's just living this life of obscurity in this obscure village, thinking no doubt that she's unnoticed. And she finds out that the Lord's eyes, that the Lord's favor has been resting on her, that the Lord is with her. Now Mary is troubled and perplexed by this greeting, as would any of us be. You know, if Gabriel showed up to my house, I, I promise you that I would be troubled or perplexed. 
You know, sometimes people give me a scripture and I'm a little troubled or perplexed by it, especially if it's, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever gotten a scripture from somebody and gone, okay, what does this mean? Is this going to be played out in my life today, the next hour, the next week? Do you, do you ever have that? Or, you know, you, you're at the retreat and you get the scripture and like, does someone want to trade? So seeing the angel, Mary is a little bit perplexed. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. There's no reason to fear. Because when the Lord comes to you, it's, it's not a reason to fear. It's because, it's because the Lord has something for you. And in Mary's case, it's because, again, she had found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God was singling her out to do something extraordinary. Then the angel lays out God's plan for Mary's life. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name this son Yeshua, or God is salvation. This will not be an ordinary baby. This baby will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Now, remember the conditions of Israel at this time. They're oppressed by the Roman legions. They're under the power of Rome. Herod, an Edomite, not even an Israelite, is on the throne of Israel and has proclaimed himself to be the king of the Jews. He's the one who's built the temple in Jerusalem. And there's a religious hierarchy who is in league with Rome. And, and most of those, the Sadducees, don't even believe in the resurrection or the power of God. Jesus, speaking to the same group of men, would say, you do greatly err for two reasons. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Can you imagine having a pastor who doesn't believe in the scriptures or the power of God? I mean, what kind of church would that be? What kind of leadership do you have, spiritual leadership, when they don't believe in the power of God or in the scriptures? This is the spiritual condition of Israel. This, this is the conditions in which Jesus is going to come forth. Now, for Mary... She probably had plans. She's betrothed to Joseph, and she probably has her whole life laid out before. Now, Joseph and I were betrothed. Then we're going to get married. And carpenters in those days were also builders. A carpenter didn't just make tables and chairs and furniture, but he built houses for people. He was an architect. He was a builder. So no doubt Mary's like, oh, Joseph's going to build us a house because after you were betrothed, you're fiance would go and build the house and then he would come and get you as soon as the house was built. He's a carpenter. I mean, she's probably thinking we're going to have the most gorgeous house in Nazareth. She might've had her whole life laid out. We're going to name one son, Cleopas. We're going to name another, you know, and I want three daughters and five boys. You know, no doubt she was planning her whole life out, which we as women do. We plan everything out, don't we? We plan what we're going to pack three weeks in advance. We plan what we're going to make for dinner. I used to have a calendar. 
And what I would do is every day I would put what I was going to make that night for dinner, a week ahead of time, everything that we were going to eat. I stopped that when Brian started crossing out days, putting arrows to other days. He was messing me up. So I decided he was not going to know. In fact, dinner was always going to be a surprise to Brian. There was, you know, he's not going to know what's going on because of those arrows changing dinner. And that's what the angel was doing. He was changing everything up for Mary. Now, we as women, we don't like our plans upset. You know, when we've been thinking Mexican food for dinner and our husbands come home and say, Italian, you're like, wait, no. How can I go from corn tortillas to pasta? It's, it's a hard transition because we, we get in our minds, we get our minds set in, in one direction. This is what's going to go on with my life. This is how it's going to be. And it's very hard to have those, those changes of plans. And this angel is coming and he's changing all of the plans of Mary's life. He's saying to Mary, it's not going to be the way you thought. Nothing is going to be as you thought. Everything is going to change. Everything. Every iota. The way you think about yourself. The way you live. Where you go. What you do. For the rest of your life, everything is going to be different. How do you react to a change of plans? How do you react when God says, no, it's not going to go that way. I know you thought it was going to go in this direction, but that's not the direction. I have something else. But Mary received God's word. She received it. She didn't say, wait, what about my plans? She received it. She says in verse 34 of Luke chapter 1, How can this be since I have not known a man? It's not how can you do this, but how will you do this? In other words, Mary is asking, how can I cooperate? How, how, how is this going to go down? I'm all in. She's not saying this is a lot of impossibilities. She's saying, all right, I'm a virgin. Here's everything I have. How do you want to work in me? The angel explains the process to Mary. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And Jesus, the Holy One who is to be born, will take up residency in you. This is what it is to be born again, isn't it? This is what has happened to each one of us. When we gave our lives, when the word of God came to us, this is how it is taken into us. The Father overshadowed us. The Holy Spirit came upon us. And Jesus came and took up residency in our lives. I love Mary's response in verse 38. She says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. In other words, she's saying, look on me. Behold. Okay, here I am. Behold, I'm all in. Look on me. Consider me the, the servant of the Lord. 
The one that you can do whatever you want with. I'm yours. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. That's what she's saying to the Lord. Consider, consider me as yours, your servant to do your will. Let the, all the word of God, whatever God desires, be done in me. To receive the word of God is more than simply hearing the word of God. It's to allow that word of God to take up residency or room in our hearts. As Jesus would tell the parable that we read about in Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13 about where the word of God goes as the sower goes out and he sows the seed. And you remember the different grounds it fell upon the the pathway and the birds of the air ate it right away. It fell among the rocks. It sprung up, but then the sun withered it. It uh, fell among the weeds, but the weeds choked it out. But then it fell upon the soil that was prepared and it brought forth fruit 30 to 100% more than what was sown. That's that ready soil. That's what Mary is saying. I'm giving the word of God full room. It has priority. I've made room for the word of God in my life. So she received the word of God. She gave it room. Next, we read that Mary believed God's word. Believing God's word is when we order our life by God's word. That's how it's seen. Do you believe it? When you believe the word of God, you order your life by the principles, the instructions, and the truth or the reality of God's word. You see, a lot of people say, oh, I believe God's word, but they don't obey it. They don't do what it says. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the chapter of faith, but what is it? It's people who believed and acted on the word of God. Whether we believe something is seen on whether we act on that or not. You see, if I don't believe my car runs, I'm not going to get in it. I'm going to use a different car. You know what I mean? You act on what you believe. So Mary acted on the word of God. When the angel Gabriel tells her that her cousin Elizabeth has miraculously conceived, Mary goes immediately to meet with Elizabeth. Mary's Praise also reflects her belief in God's word. We read what's called the Magnificent in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, where Mary proclaims the character of God, his greatness, his salvation, his favor, his might, his great work, his holiness, his mercy, and the nature of his activity. What is the nature of his activity? Mighty deeds. He scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He topples the mighty. He exalts the lowly. He satisfies the hungry. He sends the rich or the self-satisfied away empty or unsatisfied. She talks about God's faithfulness to his promises, his people, his word. Faith or belief in God's word is evidenced in obedience and adherence to God's word. Those who believe in God's word obey God's word. Faith is also proclaimed in our praise. 
Faith cannot be hidden. We talk about what we believe. That's what we talk about. We talk about what we believe. Those with causes always talk about their cause. They have enthusiasm about their cause. Have you ever been with someone and you're like, don't mention antique dolls? Maybe you haven't been with that person. I have. Don't mention it. Because they go off. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Ah, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's certain subjects you just don't talk about because that's their favorite subject. Or if you're really bored and no one's talking, you just go ahead and say, so what about antique dolls? Ah! And you know, you don't have to talk for the, if you're tired, you just mention that and you just go to sleep while they continue talking. Because they're passionate about their cause. This is what they want to talk about. Those who know the character of God talk about God. Daniel said the people that know their God will be great and carry out great exploits for him. This is what happens when we know our God. When we believe in our God, it will be seen in our actions, our obedience to the Lord, and in our praise, what we talk about, what we proclaim. Mary proclaimed who God was. She declared his promises and she rehearsed the faithfulness of God to his people, his promises, and to his word. Next or thirdly, Mary rested in God's word. She allowed God to do for her and in her. She didn't say, okay, do you want me to kneel, stand, dance? How are you going to come into me? When are you going to overshadow? Oh, there's a shadow. Let me step into it. She wasn't striving to get Christ in her. She let the Lord do. All she did was it was a presentation. Here I am. Come into me. She rested in that. She rested in the circumstances that happened to her. She didn't resist. You see, trials, this is going to be really bad news for all of us, but trials are the way God fulfills his promises in our lives. Sometimes we say, Lord, let me see your glory. And he says, all right, let me send you a really bad trial. Because then you're going to see, you know, when all else fails, when nothing else can come through, when every other door is shut, that's when we see the glory of God. Because he is the God who comes through the impossibilities. This is our God. He's the God who shows us his sufficiency in our deficiency. This is our God. So Mary didn't scheme or strive to have God's word accomplished in her life. Her how question, how can these things be seen? I don't know a man, was answered by what God would do in her, for her, and not what she would do for God. You don't have the angel saying, you need to do this or this or that. Do you see any plan for Mary? The angel saying, now do this, go to Bethlehem. Go with Joseph, go to Bethlehem. Make sure that you go to Bethlehem. Make sure this baby is born in Bethlehem. Then make sure you go to Egypt because, you know, out of Egypt, I will call my son. Then I want you to settle back in Nazareth because he shall be called the Nazarene or the branch You don't have any further instructions. You know what the angel says to Mary? Just let God work in your life. Just let the word of God come and and live in you. And everything else God will accomplish. 
Mary rested in the word of God. Mary only needed to submit, cooperate, and follow God's daily direction. You know, again, here we are as women. What do we want? We want the game plan for the next 10 years. I don't know about you. I don't want to know just what I'm doing today. I want to know what's the plan for tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, the day after that. I told you this before. It's true. I make calendars. In all my journals, I have calendars. It's crazy. I know I'm crazy, but that's okay, because if you know you're crazy, you're not crazy. (laughs) But I make these calendars because I want to know what's going on. I want to know what I need to buy at the market. I want to know, you know, where we're going to eat dinner. I want to know. I've told you this before. If I know I have to make a, you know, a right-hand turn, I want to know 10 miles before that right-hand turn comes up. And I want to be in that lane. I use the GPS that I have on my phone. You know how you can go and you can see what you have to do for the rest of the time? That's what I want to know. I want to know. I, I don't, don't just give me step one. Give me steps one through 10. I want to know exactly what's required of me to get to this place. That's, that's how we are as women. But God wants, he wants that absolute dependency on, on him. Where we don't know, but we're so trusting in him and we know he's going to get us there. Mary so trusted in the word of God. He said, this is the way it's going to be. He said, I'm going to give birth to the son of the highest. I'm going to rest in him. Many adverse or contradictory circumstances arose in Mary's life. But she only needed to let God work in each one of those circumstances. His perfect will. Taxes and travels would prove perfect placement birth in Bethlehem, Rachel mourning over the death of infants, the son coming out of Egypt, Jesus being called a Nazarene or the branch of God. This would happen as Mary simply submitted every day to the leading of God, not striving, but just allowing God to use all the circumstances that happened to her would lead her to the perfect placement that God had. Simeon, the prophet in the temple, warned Mary of things to come, a sword piercing her soul, Jesus, a sign that would be spoken against. These were things that Mary would just rest in. God would make everything happen. God is responsible in all of our lives to fulfill his promises in his word. It is not our responsibility to make it happen. Our responsibility is to simply receive, believe, and rest in the word of God. That's what we have to do. His responsibility is to bring it all to pass. Next, we find that Mary treasured the word of God. In Luke 2.19, it reads, Mary kept all these things in her heart. That word kept is the the Greek word syntareo, 
It means to preserve, safeguard, or to treasure. And I love that the Holman's Christian Standard Bible and the New Living Translation translate it, Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart. In other words, she put value on the word of God. It wasn't something that went in one ear and another ear. It was something that she put in her heart and said, this is a treasure. This is a keeper. I never want to forget this word. I never want to forget this testimony. I never want to forget that this took place. So she gave God's word placement priority in her heart. Mary's greatest possession was the promise and the work of God. My favorite jewelry or my treasured jewelry all has either a testimony, an occasion. I can tell you when I received it, how I received it, and who gave it to me. Now, I have my costume jewelry, and usually it's got a testimony. I got it cheap. That's the testimony. It was on sale. It was a two for two for one dollar. And I love those testimonies. But my real jewelry, the one I treasured like this, somebody gave it to me. It's Jade from Burma. And it means so much to me because of the woman who gave it to me, Sonda, who I absolutely adore. But my favorite pieces have a story to them, have a testimony. My necklace that I'm wearing, my mother gave to me. I was to teach on one Friday morning. We had been in the car. We were driving here. And she said, you're over 40. I said, yes, I am. She said, you need something around your neck. She said, when you're over 40, you need to wear bright lipstick earrings and have something around your neck. It just kind of takes away from the lines. I said, okay. So she took the necklace off of me and she put it off of her and she put it on me. And I've treasured it ever since. In fact, if you see me, I'm usually wearing this. Um, my dad gave me a necklace for Christmas one year, and it was, my dad never gave me a piece of jewelry. He went on a trip one time, and I asked him to bring me back something. He brought me back a little license plate for my bike that had my name on it. And he gave me a clock radio when I was 15. Those are like the two that I remember the most. Um, I was unthankful for the clock radio, so he took it back, but I still remember he did give it to me. But I can't, but I remember just, just getting this necklace. My mom's like, he gave us a necklace. I'm like, I know. She goes, what's going on with him? You know, it was like one of those times. We, we all remembered it because my sister, my mom and I, we all got the same necklace. And I said, I bet it was a threefer. But um, <laughs> it was so precious and it still means so much to me. Um, at his memorial, I wore it. And, I, and I'll wear it every once in a while. If you see me with a great big ruby on, that's, um, that's what he gave me. And it means so much to me. And my jewelry all has a story because that's the only treasures I have. And I really, I don't have any, you look at my house, you'll see, she really doesn't have any treasure. Most of it's recycled junk. That's true. But I do have some jewelry in a plastic bag and that's my treasures. And, and they all have a story. They're not expensive, but they have a story. They're sentimental. The occasion on which I received them is so precious, and I treasure them. And I, and I can tell you this story immediately with each one of my treasures. And I, and I put them in a special place, and they're of value to me. So Mary's treasure, which she treasured in her heart, was Gabriel's visitation, was God's promises, was the shepherd's testimony and story, was her meeting with Simeon 
Anna's reaction to Jesus and no doubt the visitation of the wise men in Bethlehem. God's work through Jesus was Mary's greatest treasure. It held the greatest worth in her life. It gave Mary her identity and worth. Was God's work, God's word in her, God's fulfillment of his promises. Luke, when he wrote the gospel of Luke, he begins the gospel by saying, you know, I have written these things, Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of the things that you have come to believe. So I have gone back and I have interviewed people who were eyewitnesses and I've written down their testimony. So no doubt Luke met with Mary and he asked Mary, tell me about this. And Mary told him about Zacharias and Mary told him about the angel's visitation, about being in Nazareth, about the shepherds. Why? Because they were right there. They were the treasures in her heart. Oh, I want my heart to be a treasury of God. I, you know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want my heart to be filled with the treasures of God. I don't want my heart to be filled with bitterness and anger and the ravishes of unforgiveness. So that when I speak, yeah, you like them, well, let me tell you about them, you know? I remember there was a story that was read to me when I was a little girl about two sisters. And one of them gave water to an old woman at the well. And the woman then revealed that she was actually um, a beautiful fairy godmother or something. And she said, because you've been so kind, out of your mouth will come treasures of, of gold and silver and rubies and precious jewels. Well, the other sister went to the same well and the lady came as a... Um, the fairy godmother came like a, um, a nobility, like a queen. And she said, get me some water. And the sister said, get it yourself. I think she was from New York. And um, <laughs> the woman then revealed herself to be a fairy godmother and said, because you've been so rude, out of your mouth will come, you know, like snakes and scorpions and all these awful things. You haven't read this story? It's such a good one. I recommend it to everybody. So anyway, of course, what happens is the two sisters go home, and the mom's like going, you be quiet, you talk. Um, because the one had just such beauty that would pour forth from her mouth. Proverbs 31 talks about the virtuous woman that on her lips is the law of kindness, and wisdom pours forth from her mouth. So Mary, because she treasured the word of God, it came forth from her lips. When Luke asked her about these things, out came all of these treasures, all these things that she had been valuing. You see, what you value, what you place in your heart of value will come out of your mouth. It will be your testimony. It will be your cause. It will be what you talk about. If you harbor unforgiveness, if you harbor bitterness, if you harbor anger, it's going to burn up all the good. So you can't remember what good things are happening to you. You won't even be able to talk about the good things. So you're driving a new car. Yeah, but it's got a spot on it. You know, and the upholstery's not that comfortable. You know, it, you won't be able to see the good things that God is doing. You'll only see the cup half full. 
You'll never see it, oh, I'm sorry, half empty. Pretend that he said it with passion. You'll only see the cup half empty. You won't see the cup half full. You'll, you'll only see life through this dim, dark perspective. We need, we need to treasure the word of God in our hearts. We need it to come and be our treasury because when we do, all of life is changed. And people say, you talk. I want to hear what you have to say. You know, there's some people you just don't want to have talk. Isn't that true? Like just keep Aunt, you know, Beelzebub quiet. <laughs> All that comes out of her are flies because Beelzebub means Lord of the flies. You know, we don't want her to talk because it's always so miserable when she starts talking. And, and then there's other people like, oh, you want to hear this story. Oh, ask them about this or have them talk about that. And you can't wait for them to start talking because you know there's going to be treasures. Or some people you just get excited about seeing because you know they're going to come with a blessing and a treasure. And there's other people that you see them coming and you hide behind the cans of green beans <laughs> at the market because you don't want to talk to them because you know it's going to be miserable. You know it's going to be hard. So Mary treasured the word of God. She could tell you the promises of God. She could tell you when they occurred. She could tell you the occasion under which they happened. And they, she could tell you what they meant to her and of what great value they were. No doubt Mary described all these things to Luke. God's work through Mary, God's word in Mary, was her greatest treasure. It held the greatest worth to her. It's that which she would give to others that they might have treasures in their own life. But Mary not only treasured the word of God, but she meditated on God's word. We, we were told that she kept all these things in her heart and she pondered them or she meditated on them. To meditate is to think again about or to muse on something. It is to make it literally a part of your thought process. It's to influence every thought and the way you think. So Mary thought again and again about God's word. She thought about what God promised to her forefathers. She thought about what God promised personally to her. She thought about God how God fulfilled his promises, the occasion, the circumstances. We are to meditate on the word of God. We're told in someone that we're to meditate day and night. We're to think about God's word. We're to think about God's promises. We're to think about the things that God has done for us and how he's fulfilled his word. She thought about God's word given to her by Gabriel, by Joseph, by shepherds, by Simeon or prophets, by Anna the prophetess. She meditated on God's word during glorious times when she was fellowshipping with her cousin Elizabeth and everything looked promising and you're pregnant and I'm pregnant, not knowing that, you know, have you ever done that? When I was pregnant, we were so excited, not knowing that they would turn into teenagers. <laughs> but you know, you have those glorious times of fellowship where 
when everything is anticipation. You know how you get the promises of God and you're so excited? I got a promise. Because you don't know the process through which God is going to fulfill that promise. You know those beginning times when you're just so excited that God spoke to you and he gave you a promise? Then she meditated on God's word during difficult times. Times of taxes and traveling and crowded conditions and no room at inns. Uncomfortable times, living in places that were not familiar. She meditated on the word of God. She kept going back to those promises. I have promises that I go back to. I go back to those promises that God has given me. I go back to them in good and glorious times. I go back to them in in difficult times. She went back to those promises also in perplexing times. When when things seem to be going contrarily to the word that God has given you. Have you ever had times where God gives you a promise and then everything seems to contradict that promise? That's the time to meditate, to go back to that promise and say, Lord, this is what you gave me. I'm going to think about this promise. I'm going to stand in this promise. She meditated on those promises when she couldn't find Jesus, when she lost Jesus because he had stayed in Jerusalem and he was in the temple with the scribes and the chief priests discussing the word of God. That was a perplexing time. Have you ever lost Jesus? Yes, you have. Just in case you were wondering, you have. And he said to her, you should have known where to find me. I love that because she loses Jesus and she's like, where were you? Is that so us? How dare you leave me? He's like, wait, you know, I've been here all the time, exactly where I'm supposed to be. Who left who? That's a different Bible study. Really a good one though. Perplexing times when she was waiting for him to begin his ministry. In John chapter seven, her other sons, the brothers of Jesus, they go to Jesus and they say, you know what? No one, no one who has giftings like yours hides themselves. You need to go up to Jerusalem and proclaim who you are and show everyone what you can do. When she was waiting for Jesus to begin his ministry, even at the wedding in Canaan, when she says they've run out of wine and he says, woman, what does your concern have to be, have to do with me? I, I have to be on God's timetable, not yours. When he was serving among the throng, throng, never mind, let me say, the throngs and common people of Israel in Mark chapter 6, when, it, when she had gone with his brothers and they said, your mother and brothers are waiting outside for you. And he said, who are my mother? Who is my mother and my brothers? But those who do the will of the Lord, these perplexing times, those were the times to meditate on the promises When he was rejected in Nazareth, Mark chapter 6, when he came unto his own and his own did not receive him, when he's among the sons of David, and they're saying, no, you're just like us. Why you and not us? That's actually what they were saying. Why you and not us? We know your brothers. We know your father. We know your mother. Don't, Don't you put on airs around us. We're your people. During those perplexing times, Mary needed to go back and meditate on the word of God 
to think about it, to make it part of her process. It's never been about what she could do for God, but what God would do even through these circumstances. She needed to meditate on the word of God and those promises during heart-wrenching times when Jesus was rejected by Israel, when he was arrested and brutalized by the religious elite, when he was crucified as a common criminal, when he was laid in a tomb. During those dark times and pain, she would need to meditate to recall God's promises and remember all that God had said, affirmed, confirmed, and done. She would need to remember the angel's words that Jesus would be great and called the son of the highest and that the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David. She needed to remember the shepherd's testimony that the angels appeared to, to them and told them that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah. She needed to remember the words of Simeon that this child was destined for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. She needed to remember that the kings of the east had come to worship the one who was born king of the Jews and to give him of their treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was in these times that she needed to bring back those words that had been spoken, affirmed, confirmed, given to her, and to get all of the flavor and nutrition possible out of them. Like a savings account that she had put money into, she needed to extract that treasure in a time of need. She needed to think again of God's promises, God's word, God's confirmation, the testimonies of God, just like we must treasure the word of God and meditate on it in every season of our life when it seems impossible. When my daughter Kelsey was so far away from the Lord, I would go back to the promises God gave me. One of those being um, Psalm 107, another in Isaiah, where God promised, I will bring your descendants back to you. And I would go and I would rehearse those promises. Even when they looked impossible, I would say, God, you told me, you promised me. And there's nothing I can do to make this happen. I am just going and resting and leaning into the promises. I remember coming to church and singing, Our God Saves, and putting my hands up as high as I could and saying, God, you promised you save. Your name is Savior. That's who you are. Our God saves. Yeshua, God is salvation. And saying, God, you've got to save. You promised you never fail your word. You know, just have you ever just like put your hands out as far as you can, like oh, reaching for those promises of God? Just holding on and grasping for all your worth. Saying, God, this is you. Those are the times we need to be thinking and meditating and going back again and again and again to the promises and the words of God. That's why we need to treasure them. That's why we need to put them in the bank account of our heart so we can draw from them.
I think of the Waldensias. This is not in my notes. I think of the Waldensias. They're these people who had the word of God stripped from them. And they had to hide out in the Alps of France and Austria. Because had they been caught, they would have been killed because they read and believed the word of God. And so what they did is they gave every person a certain chapter of the Bible and those people memorized the word. So in a congregation, you had the entire word of God because, you know, one man knew Genesis one through five, another person knew Genesis six through 10 and so on and so on and so on. They had put the word of God into their hearts. So in those times of persecution, they could stand up and proclaim the word of God so that no one was without the word of God. We need to treasure and start putting the word of God in our hearts so we can meditate, so we can bring it back to our memory during difficult times, during perplexing times, during great times and glorious times, during every season of our life, it's to feed us. Finally, finally, and you're like, finally, I want that food in the fellowship hall. Just wait. Mary embraced God's word. In other words, Mary was an active participant in God's word. She didn't stand out on the periphery saying, I'm going to watch how God's going to do it. She allowed God to do it in her heart. From the time Mary heard God's word, she embraced it. Embraced it. She participated and cooperated with it. Remember, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She volunteered her entire being for God to work in and through and with. She went and moved at the direction of God's word through Gabriel. She was there at Jesus' birth, Jesus' youth, Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee when the water was turned to wine. She was there at the cross in Jesus' suffering. She was there in the upper room with the other disciples waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which she received. Mary embraced and continued in God's word when it was exciting, when it was perplexing, when it was excruciating, and when it tarried. She was embracing the word of God. Now, to be like Mary, we don't have to act pious. We don't have to fold our hands and let our hair grow long and wear it on each side. All we have to do is to receive the word of God, to receive it, to believe it, to treasure it, to meditate, to rest in it, to embrace it. That's when we are like Mary. That's when we become highly favored. That's when God can do his greatest work in and through our lives. And that is when Jesus can be seen and evidence. Today, we are, each one of us, each one of you, we are the favored women of God. To each of us, God would say, highly favored one. Why? 
because he is speaking to each one of us through his word, because he has promises for each one of us, special promises, because God desires to overshadow each one of us, to anoint each one of us with his spirit and for his son Jesus to have full residency in our hearts. How we respond to this word that God gives us will make all the difference in our lives. God has special promises and plans for us. And to live in those plans, to live in those promises, we only need to receive God's word, believe and act upon God's word, rest in God's word, treasure God's word, meditate God's word, and embrace God's word. And it all begins by simply extending our hands and saying, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it to me according to your word. Let's stand up. As we finished the lineage of Jesus, as we've seen what those who yielded themselves to the Lord received the miracles that God did in their lives. Don't you want God to work in your life? We've all been called to the lineage. We are the highly favored ones of God. So right now as we're closing, let's close our eyes. And I would ask each one of you just to put your arms out. Maybe you need to reach out to those promises. Maybe God gave you those promises. Maybe you need a promise raise your hand. Maybe you've already received a promise and you need to stand in that promise. Raise your hand. Maybe you just need to embrace that promise. Maybe you need to rest in that promise. Raise your hand. So everyone should have their hands raised. That's what I'm saying. So raise your hand and with your eyes closed, let's say it together. We're going to say, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Talking about yourself. Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it to me according to your word.